We tackle the often uniquely but not always female dilemma of managing life, work, family, and self. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. Here at The Balanced Dilemma, we reach out to women and men to hear their balance stories, what worked, what didn't, and what takeaways they have to help improve our lives and achieve balance. Our guest today is Anna Maria Santarelli. Many of you may know Anna Maria either from her former restaurant in Larchmont, New York, Anna Maria's, her new wine bar in Rye, or from the national broadcast of Chopped on the Food Network. As you'll no doubt hear, this talented chef has put her imprint on the food world. Welcome, Anna Maria. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So, Anna Maria, we've gotten to know each other over the years, and I found your story so inspirational. Why don't you tell our guests, uh, our listeners, a little bit about how you came to New York? I, um, first of all, I want to thank you for having me here. Um, it started, um, my family immigrated here um, from Italy in 1972, and I was a little girl, and uh, we lived in Brooklyn, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and um, so we were, we were just um, a family with uh, no experience how, how to live life here in America, and uh, I took a passion with my mother in the kitchen, which is cooking. And at a very young age, I basically found what my niche was. Um, and Williamsburg in 1972, we have to take our viewers back to that. I, I knew, I know that area, and it was not the hip place it was. It is <laughs> right, today. Not it at was all. Uh, a real busy, uh, gritty uh, neighborhood, real New York back then. So that yes. must have been. You didn't speak English. No, uh, none of us did. Um, it was. Uh, um, actually, um, I gained a lot of anxiety from, you know, growing up, not knowing the language, not knowing anyone. Uh, we were a very close family, and that's the way we survived, you know, to help each other and to work hard. Uh, and that's where I am today. Did you see it as part of the American dream? Yes, this was the American dream. Um, but in order to have the American dream, you got to really work hard to gain um, what I gained through my career. So you went to culinary school after high school? I did, yes. What made you decide to do that? My brother owned a restaurant, and I worked with him in Brooklyn. And I decided this definitely is something I want to do. I want to pursue my dream. This was always a dream of mine. So what was the dream? The Just- dream to be a, a chef. A chef with... Um, you know, an Italian background, because that's all I knew at the time. And working in my brother's restaurant, it just opened my eyes, and I found it that that was my passion. Do you think having been born in Italy was sort of gave you legitimacy to being an Italian chef? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, it, I would think so, it's, too. It's in my blood, you know, and I do have a tattoo on my arm. It says, made in Italy. <laughs> um, I am proud of where I came from. I'm proud of my family and... Um, um, cooking has been, it's been my passion since I was a little girl. And, you know, it's occurring to me, again, going back in time, this uh, popularity of Italian cuisine, that wasn't the case uh, back in the 70s. Some people uh, found Italian food different and spicy. So you were part of an emerging culture. I, I, I was, but our cuisine, uh, I'm Neapolitan. So our cuisine is a little bit more different. I, we found the ingredients to be more simple. 
um, being in Williamsburg back then, um, Italian restaurants then didn't do well. Uh, because they didn't? They didn't do well because the community I lived in was Italian. Everybody, Everyone cooked, everybody at home. cooked at home. So when I tell my mom, why wow, I would love to open up a restaurant here, she goes, oh, no, you're not opening up a restaurant. No one is going to come to your restaurant. We'll stay home. Right. <laughs> she was right. That's true. So what's the difference between a cook and a chef? Well, a chef is um, someone who's creative, someone who has passion, uh, and it's not just a hobby. Um, being a cook, it's more a person who wants to make it a hobby out of it. And, you know, um, cooking at home and being a housewife is totally different than being an executive chef. So it's not the difference between having a degree from a culinary school? No, it's not. To me, I gain all my experience in different restaurants. So uh, let me talk about sure. after culinary school. What was your first job after culinary school? I work at a French restaurant called La Colombe d'Or. Oh, I know where that was. I don't know if it's still there. <laughs> yeah. Um, the family, um, they were um, so delighted to have me on board. And I learned so much about it. Um, I was new. In, and basically being new on the job and starting peeling uh, onions and carrots and chopping away um, was the beginning of my career. Did you work at a number, a lot of restaurants? I did. I did. I worked at a lot, um, many Italian restaurants also in the city. Mm-hmm. Coco Pata one was one of my favorites on 74th and 5th right. Avenue. Uh, Mark Strassman was um, the executive chef. I worked under him. Um, and I've been friends with him since. But you um, ultimately found your way to City Hall. I did. I <laughs> and did. not for bad reasons. And, and it's, funny, if, it's funny you say that because... Um, I uh, was working at La Colombe d'Or, and I got a call from the New York Restaurant School where I attended. And they said that they needed someone at Gracie Mansion. They thought that I was a good fit. And from that moment on, I, I was on board for 14 years. And you started relatively low down. I started as an assistant prep cook to become, so to speak, like a sous chef. But then I became the executive chef for Rudy Giuliani back in the days. So I've had a question I've wanted to ask you. Back in culinary school, what was the breakdown of men to women? Well, that was a challenge. Uh, We have to work much harder. Um, We are um, more creative than men and, you know, we take our job more differently than men do and that's me speaking back then. I was very determined to fight the battle. Um, They don't, they didn't think women uh, are capable to do as much as men can to be as talented as them or t- to succeed. Um, that, that's been my experience. Um, but I don't have no fear and I've learned how to be strong and the determination is the key to where I am today. So looking at role models, I mean, each experience you're talking about was a male role model. You were basically, uh, you know, paving your own way as uh, you know, a maverick here, it, it not having uh, m- very many women who did were, what you were about to do. So how did you have the fortitude to say this? a woman can fit in this kitchen too? I, I, I like I said, I'm determined to fight the battle. So um, I felt um, uncomfortable at times working in the kitchen with men because they didn't respect you as much. Um, they looked down on you. Um, and that didn't change my mind or I became much stronger about it. I said, one day I'm going to be that successful chef and that famous person that I always wanted to be. Um, 
Did it change when you became the executive chef at Gracie Mansion? It sure did. Um, in many ways. Uh, uh, my, my my professional way of, of who I was before and afterwards, I always be, stood humble. That's the most important thing. I've never changed that person until this day. I'm still the same person. Um, I treat people with respect and professionally. And um, I just love, I, I love the fact that, you know, I was giving that opportunity. So as you've, you know, sort of hinted at, um, Professional kitchens typically are or have been a man's world, even though the kitchen at home is, at least until the pandemic, often thought of as women's world. And but these professional kitchens, I mean, the numbers of women who are the head chefs is really low. I mean, in my research and they do still cite a statistic from 2014, so I'm sure it's outdated, but only seven percent of U.S. restaurant kitchens were helmed by women chefs. There is. 2018 U.S. Census data that says about 22% of head chefs and cooks are women, which is part of why I asked you the difference, um, which gives you, you know, 77% of uh, restaurants headed by men. So standing here now, um, do you have a feeling for whether female chefs have increased their visibility in kitchens? I, I don't think so. Um, mm. I, I'm going to tell you why. This is my opinion, uh, being a woman chef. Um the long hours. Um, if you have a family, it's very difficult to maintain. Right. And children. Um, those, I think, are the, the, you know, there's pros and cons in this. But if you love what you do, you'll find a way to be in that kitchen right. and to fully, you know, have continued the passion of cooking. But our industry, it's very tough. It's tough on a whole lot. This is The Balanced Dilemma. We're speaking with chef and restaurateur Anna Maria Santarelli. We were talking about women in professional kitchens, and I, I saw an interesting statistic from the National Restaurant Association that reported that at least half of restaurants are either owned or part owned by women. And yet the statistics we talked about earlier were that there aren't that many women chefs and certainly not in proportion to the number of women owned restaurants. Are women restaurateurs not hiring women chefs? That's correct. And Why? I think there's not many of us left, unfortunately. Really? I think this is a difficult um, industry, and it's gotten worse. Um, Like I said before, uh, there's so much work in this industry, being a woman, you know, on your feet all day long. And, you know, and especially, like I said, if you have responsibilities at home, it's hard to focus on your career. And and just, you know, for the edification of our listeners, for anyone who's worked in a kitchen, it's hot. It's crowded. You know, footwear is a an issue for chefs finding proper arch support. It's physically taxing. You get burned. You get you cut yourself. Yeah. Right? These are the realities well, of working yeah. in a kitchen. These are all the possibilities. Uh, the pressure is enormous. You know, especially under time constraints. Under time, and, and especially you know, uh, in our time now, things are difficult. You know. Um, who was allergic to what? You know this. You have a full restaurant, and you you have the control, and you have to be you know focused on everyone's dish. Uh, that it's a lot of work, you know, to be in that environment. Imagine uh, that laser focus on someone's on everyone's dish to make sure you've got vegan allergies. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, service. It's, it's a service industry. Absolutely. Wow. It, and it's challenging every day. 
Um, so it, it, it's, it's tough. I think that's one of the reasons women, I think, that, um, you know, not able to, you know, stay, uh, in, stay the in the business, you know. Could it also be in part because of the harassment and predatory conduct? I mean, and I do want to give some statistics first. <laughs> the restaurant industry has more allegations of harassment than any other industry in the United States. As um, those statistics are as of 2018, where as many as 90% of women and 70% of men reportedly experience some form of sexual harassment. And, of course, we know about all the famous chefs who have been accused of it, like Mario Batali, um, the guy who owns the Spotted Pig, and uh, I don't remember the other one. Well, even uh, Kitchen Confidential really showed yeah. you a, uh, a whole under, underbelly of the uh, kitchen world. But I, I, I did have my own experience in sexual harassment um, on the job in many places, um, and it's uh, it's serious. Um, and what form does it come up in? Is uh, it um, sort of being discriminated against? Is discrimination? Yes, to a certain. Point. Or was there actual physical harassment? Uh, if you allow it, if you allow it. Well, you do have a knife in your hand. <laughs> well. <laughs> that's true <laughs> we don't want any uh, don't make any confessions on the air right. but, okay. but but it's it's been tough for us women um to get to gain the respect by men um i think things have changed for better now and i'm so happy to see that um you know there's a voice uh, we didn't have a voice before we're afraid to lose our jobs because of that um but not anymore and I'm glad to see that as a woman chef and, you know, to be in control today and to know that I have power as much as a male chef. How did you or, or did you have to deal with it as the head chef, whether it was directed at you or you had to protect other employees? Well, I had to protect myself first and everyone else around me, which is very important. Um, but again, you know, I am someone that I stand what I believe in. And I fight back. Um, and that's that's something important for women to do today. To if you're in charge, yeah. why do you have to fight back? Can't you just fire them, I guess? was You know, um, it, it all depends on the person, obviously. Um, and uh, sometimes people are very persistent. Mm. Uh, today okay. is a different situation, obviously. You know, your voice is heard before. It wasn't. They ignore it, even if you report someone. But one of the things that has come out in some of the research is that the harassment is not just from within. It's from customers. Yes, that's very true. And it still happens. In what way? What kind? Uh, you know, sexually. I mean, Making advances. advances. Yes. Uh, it's still out there. I, um, I, I experienced that um, at times still in my in my um my new establishment um so but i i am a professional so i know how to behave myself in a nice uh professional way to talk to someone and let them know you know uh where they stand and where i stand <laughs> right the consequences uh, you don't want to you don't want to talk to uh, this napolitan woman here because i'm feisty <laughs> and i'll fight you back and you're never going to forget me Right. So do you think there are more opportunities for women chefs now, given that there aren't as many? I think there are still a few left. Uh, it just depends on the person if they really love what they do and they want to, you know, um, be in this industry. I, I think so. And, and we are focusing on one aspect of the food world. Women have 
broadened their wings in many other uh, aspects of uh, cooking, baking, shows. I mean, they definitely have a presence on television greater than they did at another time. But the uh, executive chef position is really, you know, you set the menu, you, you really... Well, being an executive chef, it's it's a, a tough position to have in many ways. Uh, you have to set the menu. You have to train people. You have to, um, you know, there's so much involved, uh, hands-on, and, um, and you're responsible. Okay, uh, before we t- have to take a break, can we get to a little bit of the gossipy stuff and take you back to Gracie Mansion, like who you cooked for? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Tell That's us. fun. Um, well, I started working with um, Mayor Dinkins at the beginning of my career. I had the privilege of working with a, a great family. I had a lot of fun at times, uh, very challenging times because I was, I was working under a male chef at the time. So that was tough. That was um, something that I'll never forget. <laughs> That's why I, I, I learned how to change my, my ways, you know, from the experience I received um, and um, and I was hired under Rudolph Giuliani as the when he was mayor in New York City. Mayor, yes. So, any famous guests and any many, many. and any special requests for um, meals? Yeah, many many requests. But I um, I cooked for Andrea Bocelli. Um, um, Did he Robert sing Spreiden. for a supper? Did either of them <laughs> sing for their supper? Well, I, I tell you, he, he did kiss me, <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't object to that one. <laughs> Not at all. I'll never forget that. Uh, Bette Midler, one of them, you know, um, I cook for Mother Teresa. Um, I, I had the opportunity of meeting so many wonderful people. Oh, but you told me one handsome face. Come on, JFK Jr. Oh, my oh. God. He's, he was one of my favorites. Um, very handsome and um, adorable. So these were good uh, perks of the job. I will never forget them. And this is The Balance Dilemma. We are here speaking with chef and re- restaurateur Anna Maria Santorelli. Welcome back. Anna Maria, you opened your own restaurant. You left Gracie Mansion and you opened a restaurant in Larchmont around 2006. How did you come to do that? Well, that was that was my dream. My dream is to open up my own restaurant. And was that because you always wanted to be in charge? Or I always wanted to have my restaurant and be the the owner and uh, have control. Um, and I was determined to do so with no support. And I find my way to Larchmont in 2006, and I fell in love with the location. And that was scary for me at times because I wasn't sure. I didn't have any experience opening up a restaurant or running a restaurant. The only thing I knew, I knew how to cook. Um, Had you learned how to figure out how much to order and what good prices were, you know, to do all those things that are the behind the scenes that makes a restaurant uh, run? Yes, I've done that in the past. You know, before I opened the restaurant, I educated myself in a lot of different ways. Financially also? Financially and, and, you know, not knowing how to run a restaurant. It's um, that's very important financially. Um, and of course, the consistency of everything else in, 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 in the business itself. Um, but it took time and experience to get where I was. Right. It was never easy. And a restaurant is so different than a commercial or a catering uh, establishment because in those settings, and I imagine it's true even with, at Gracie Mansion, you knew who you were serving. At a restaurant, you don't know who's coming in that night. You don't know whether the weather's going to be bad and change things and you'll be stuck with uh, extra uh, you know, material. 
that's why restaurants are so hard. Yes, but you learn that you know through the through the time how to manage um, everything else in, in the business itself, uh, what to order, how to order, um, to to make specials, make sure customers are pleased. There's so much involved. It's very stressful. Um, but it's rewarding at the end. And you were loved by Larchmont. You were, you were well received. You were, you've got a lot of awards there. Yes, I was, and I uh, I still miss Larchmont in my own ways. Uh, that was my hometown, if I could say that. And I, you know, everybody basically came to my place, and they felt like they were in their living room. Right, because uh, you were the front of the house, the kitchen, the sommelier too. A little bit of everything, obviously, wow. you know. Um, I, I think I brought something to the plate differently than others because I'm someone who would hand on. But I want to know my customers. I want to make sure that we have a relationship. And that's a place where they call the cheers. And, um, you know, those are memories that will always remain with me. And it was long hours. Long hours. I was open seven days a week, lunch and dinner and brunch on Sundays. Um but so it, you moved on, and you, you're now in a new venture. What, why did you decide you wanted something different? Um, it wasn't for thir- lack of success. No. Uh, after 13 years, I decided to move forward to something different, but I wasn't sure what next was. I knew that I needed some time out. You were tired. I was tired. Um, it was time for me you know, to take a um, little time off and regroup. How hard was it to make a decision to step away from a success? It wasn't easy for me. I um, I sat on it for a very long time. It took me about two years to finally decide that I, I needed to so change. So you planned and you thought about it? Yes, I did. It took a long time for me to decide to move forward. And it was very difficult for me to tell some of my customers that I was moving forward. And they were really upset about it. But you know what we forgot here? You also had some pretty impressive things happen while you owned the restaurant. You were on national television. How did that come about? Um, someone reached out to me, and they thought I was a good fit to be um different shows, which one of them was Chopped. So tell us about the Chopped experience, because yes. you actually hold a record that I'm not sure you <laughs> want to be Wikipedia. proud of. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite challenging, I have to tell you. Um, it was a lot of fun. I didn't know what I'm getting, I was getting myself into at the time. Um, I didn't have the experience being on TV or, you know, under a lot of pressure in different ways because, you know, it's it feels good to have your own kitchen. When you are outside, your comfort zone is totally different. Uh, but you work your way in and out, and you, 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 your determination is there to, to win because I really wanted to win. Right. For those of you who aren't familiar with how Chop works, you start off with four chefs and they go through three rounds. First is an appetizer. Second is you, someone gets cut. Then you've got the entree with three people competing. One gets cut. And then the dessert round, you get the two and then one ends up the winner. And now you made it to the dessert round, which I is did. an accomplishment of itself. I did. And I was disappointed in myself because I really wanted to win. But, but I'm still a winner. Ex- but I was still a winner. And you had a really, really, really good excuse. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's a really funny story there. I mean, time, tragedy plus time equals yes. comedy. So we can look at this. Tell, tell us what happened. Well, I, I cut myself on the first round, unfortunately. And it was pretty deep. Um, and now I can talk about it because um, nobody's ever asked me that question before. When I cut myself, they told me basically that I need to, you know, um, move on and get stitches. And so, and I said, no, I'm not leaving. I'm staying. Um, so th- they don't really have anyone on site 
you know, so they had a Kotex pad and they wrapped me <laughs> with a Kotex pad around my. That's rich. That was that was insane. That was insane. But yeah, I wanted to stay on. Like I said, you know, I'm a feisty person, and to me, actually, that gives me a, a drive to do better. Oh, I think it's more than that. I think we're looking at you as the woman who made it to the final round with uh, a Kotex pad. Listen, on that's pretty it's, amazing. It's woman power. Let me tell you. <laughs> So you actually were on it again for a redemption round. Yes, I was, yeah. How did you end up doing in that one? Oh, well, that was unfortunate. <laughs> um, um, I got shot because my portion was too small. I'm oh, Italian. I don't know any better. I don't know any better. Uh, we are used to a large portion. So that vision of mine was just like, you know, it was just like, you know, plating something from my kitchen to, to, to you know, um, to the show, whatever. But that's why I got chopped. Yeah. And you, you've also, I have to mention, you also went to the, the what happened with the White House? What, uh, you, you've, you've been a lot of places, a lot yeah, of famous I, places. I've what been, happened there? Yeah, um, I was actually hired at the White House um, back in the days when, before I opened the restaurant. And uh, unfortunately, you know, um, I, it turned out to be, uh, I opened up the restaurant instead of going to the White House. But I was... Um, I, I can't tell you how I felt when I received that phone call what from the honor. chief of staff on the um, Bush administration. So I am uh, I am so grateful and happy that I had the opportunity to be there. But you never know. You know what we glossed right over. You became a citizen during all of these experiences. Where were you? What happened? How did that make you feel? Oh, you know uh, that was. Um, that really touched me deeply because I always wanted to be uh, an American citizen. That was my dream. And um, it just, I was a Gracie Manchin when I worked for Rudy Giuliani at the time. And I, f- I felt that this is the right opportunity. And uh, and, and it happened I just, you know. Um, Did it change just, how you felt about belonging here? I, I, you know, I always knew I belonged here uh, because um, I work hard. And I wanted to always have that dream. Um, and here I am today. You know, we could talk about it. And I made it happen. It's, I mean, I will say that I've seen swearing in ceremonies yes. of new citizens. And it's one of the most touching things yeah. you'll it, see in a courtroom. It was very touching for me, especially, you know, coming from uh, at a young age. Yeah, I was 10 years old. And it's one of the most important steps in the American experience. And what did how does your family feel about this here their their sister the daughter you you've become a successful businesswoman you've been invited to the white house you're a citizen how do they view your success they 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 love me and they're so proud of me um i made the american dream come true in my family uh, and they've been very supportive of me and uh, we have a great relationship and they can be proud of me. They support me until now and they, they know I have long hours. They know I'm, I'm, I am a determined, I am determined to, to keep going and what's next. It's always what's next, you know. It's not where I'm going to sit here and do nothing. I, I'm not that person. You know, here's the big question. Who cooks the Thanksgiving turkey. Come on. <laughs> Who is it? Do they, I do. do you get elbowed out? Oh, I do. do it. Okay, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we, you did start open a new restaurant and your timing probably wasn't the best. <laughs> it's, it's a wine bar. Why don't you oh tell us God. about that? Yeah. So finally, um, this came to me out of nowhere. You Someone know, brought you an opportunity. Someone brought me an opportunity. And, and you said I, yes. I, I, I didn't say yes immediately. <laughs> I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into it. Um, I went to Rye and I looked at the space and I said to 
my realtor, this is mine. I want this. I didn't even consult my family uh, because I know that if I consult my family, it would have said no to me because I just sold the restaurant. And this was the opportunity for me to, you know, basically have a little bit of a life. Right. But here I am. I'm in Rye. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm like, this is for me. I fit right here. And that's where I am today. And that's Anna Maria's Anna wine, wine bar. In Rye. The purchase in Rye. And you opened your doors January, January 2020. I opened my door January 4th. This is The Balanced Dilemma. We're speaking with Anna Maria Santarelli, who opened a wine bar in Rye, oh, two months before the pandemic. Mm. So, but we're going to talk about the pandemic and the effect on you, your, your place, um, and the industry. As of December 2020, 110,000 United States restaurants have closed for good. And between March and October 2020, food services and drinking places lost, ready for this number, $130 billion. That's with a B in sales compared to the prior year. And 2.1 million jobs uh, were lost in the industry between February and November 2020. So those are really, you know, stunning numbers. How has it affected you? Oh, it affected me in many ways, um, financially, emotionally, um, f- physically. Um, has put every day I'm on edge, you know. Uh, hasn't been easy. Were you able to stay open? Well, we shut down on March 16 at 8 p.m. I'll never forget that day. Um, after I shut that door, I can only tell you that I was in tears. You knew it was closing for some period of time. I didn't know for how long. Right. Um, it, it was um, so upsetting, so sad to be in that position that I just, my dream, my, my other dream is sitting in front of me and it's falling apart. And when do I come back and how do I come back? But those questions, you know, they were just, there was no answer to my questions at the time. Did you qualify for PPP money? Was that an option for you? It was an option, but I was only in business for two months. Right. So to me, there was not much um, that was giving. You um, couldn't have qualified for very much money. I have, until this day, I haven't. Yeah, how many qual- employees do you have? I have four employees. Are they uh, still with you? They're still with me, yes. Right. Part-time. Um, because our business has declined. Because of this pandemic, things have changed. Do you uh, have to do more? Is that, has this it's more work you? requirements, the guidelines, uh, tremendous. And you have to respect that. And we, we are basically doing everything we can to maintain ourselves healthy and our customers healthy. You know, you told us a story when we were preparing for the yeah. show that really touched our hearts um, about a patron from Larchmont who came in. Why don't, why don't you tell us about that? I have to tell that? you, yeah, I, I, until this day and now that you... You know, um, mentioning it to me, I have the chills because this particular customer came to me and she came to say to me that things are going to be okay. Uh, she sat next to me. Uh, she's a customer of mine from Larchmont. And she said, you know, uh, I could feel your pain. And I started crying. And she hugged me. And she said, listen, I, I'm here to help you whatever I can. I have $10,000. That's all I have. And it's yours. Wow. I just broke down and obviously, you know, um, I didn't accept any money. Uh, it was it was it was something that it touched me until this day. And I will always remember that. And you've said you, your landlord has worked with you. I mean, it sounds like it, it, although this you is know, a business adventure, 
You've been embraced. Yes. You know what? I'm grateful that I'm still in business today because of the people that have supported me. My landlord, the Lovano family is one of the best people I ever met. Um, And they're still, they're, uh, you know, they're uh, excellent people. They're um, people are very humble and they get the business. Uh, So I'm grateful for that. And customers have been supporting me. Um, family has been supporting me. I can't say enough that that's why I'm still there. And God is watching over me every step of the way. So what does business look like in the winter in a pandemic? It's horrific. Um, hasn't been great uh, due to people uh, that have fear coming indoor, which I totally get that. And I have my own fears. and But we have to overcome the fear in order to su- survive this nightmare. This is like a bad dream for all of us. Right. Uh, but I'm a very positive person, and I keep um, my spirits up. And people that know me, they know I don't give up. Um, and I'm going to continue this dream that I have of mine. Um, business getting a little better at this point. Um, and I'm praying, you know, that every day uh, will be better for all of us. And, you know, that saying, what doesn't kill you uh, makes you stronger, which can feel really irritating for somebody to say <laughs> yes. that to you when you're in the moment of being killed. You've told me yourself that you've learned things, you've adapted, and you've become a stronger businesswoman as a result of this unprecedentedly difficult experience. Tell us about that. Um, yes, it hasn't been easy, um, but um, God gives me all the strength I need, you know. So what, can you give us an example of a change that you made? That's making a real difference for you. Well, I made uh, I made a few changes in the business itself. You know, we had to change our wine list a bit. You know, um, we have our, our locals um, that are supporting us. Um, obviously, we don't have as many um, you know regulars as before because people have fears of still coming indoor. Um, so those are the changes I made, you know, with the business itself. You know, um, you we have to watch ser- our budget at this point. You do still serve some of your wonderful food. Yes, uh, food has never changed on the menu. It's just the wines itself and, you know, um, to keep us going at this point. Um, but it's, it's, it's been tough. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I am always determined to say, what can I do better? Uh, how do I stay in business the next day, you know? I, I make changes every single day, you know, with, with specials and um, happy hour, uh, things that, you know, that I need to do to be in business. And I assume you're looking forward to spring and summer and being outside. I, we, we pray for the good weather now. Right. So let me ask you, I want to ask a business question. As I'm question. sweating yes. in the studio, we're, we're thinking of spring. I want to ask a business question because from the pandemic, um, you know, m- many more people because of my necessity, started cooking at home. For some of them, myself, I put myself in this category, um, I would be happy to never cook another meal. (laughs) And I have tried, you know, I have tried TikTok feta pasta and I made homemade Pop-Tarts last weekend, okay? Um, But then I have other, I know other people who never cooked before and have started doing it. So, how do you think it's going to affect the business? Is it going to be good or is it going to be better? Is it going to even out? I think I think it's going to be the same or even better. People are tired of cooking at home. They want to be outdoor. They want to be around people. I think it's time for that. I think everybody's waiting for that moment. And, and I am too, actually. <laughs> um, and, you know, and to be in my business and the bar that I own today, uh, no one thought that I will ever make it. I'll tell you why, Bef- even before the pandemic, because I don't have a full kitchen. I'm very limited because, 
you know what it takes it takes a toll on you um you know emotionally and it, it drains you if you can't get something done to me and that's the person i am and i made it work right. um the previous person that owned the place they fell apart because of so many reasons this was the main reason well, it gave you a chance to really be out in the front of the house talking to people and being social. I, yes, I still do that every single day, and I do all the cooking, and I basically make sure that I people know me and Rye, and uh, they welcome me and Rye. And I have to say, the community has been very, very supportive of me. Well, they really are coming in for those meatballs. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was your mother's recipe yes. right there. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, but you have a project that you told me about that you're looking forward to. Uh, you're going to write a cookbook. Yes. This is this is another dream of mine. And it will it will happen. It's just, it's been taking a little longer than expected because of the pandemic. Um, uh, this is not just a typical cookbook. This is a typical book about many, many stories about my life, uh, being a woman chef, uh, being in power, um, and being uh, an example to others. And what it took me to 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 be who I am, uh, the experience I received, and, and until this day, I, I just keep searching for more. Um, I believe on my next dream, and, you know, that's who I am. So you took your mother's meatball recipe and you come from a traditional Italian family so you took her recipe but you didn't give her grandchildren <laughs> <laughs> well that's a big disappointment Italian family let me tell you to her not to you not though. to me to my to my to my mom obviously you know she wanted me to be married and have children and take have a men taking care of me was that, that ever not part, part of, of my recipe was that part of your dream ever no never my dream my dream was to be always independent and to do what I do best, I work with people every single day, and I love working with people. I have a passion for what I do. Can you just share your motto with us? I love what I do. Yes, that you have, I have a to passion. love what you I do. Have to, in order to be successful in this business or any business, you have to go to work and say, I love what I do. And that is the key to success. That's something to live by. Exactly. Now, I just want to tell everyone that for our next show, which we hope you'll join us on March 18th, at 2 p.m. here on WVOX, we are talking with Heather Capel, an actress turned business owner. You're going to learn about Disney University, which I didn't know existed, <laughs> um, about being rejected, because that's what happens to actors, and also making a business pivot. Yeah, and, and she's another local business owner surviving in the pandemic. And for anyone who wants to find us if, on the internet, thebalancedilemma.com, and we can you can also find us on Facebook. And follow us on that social media at The Balanced Dilemma Podcast. Also on LinkedIn, where you can find all of our episodes and listen in and see future events. And and don't forget all the typical podcast sites. We're on Spotify and Apple and Google and yep, <laughs> some I've up, never heard of. That's right. And our show notes will give... Uh, reading material that our guests have referenced if there was something that they they talked about that you want to find out about check out the show notes so i have to ask you one final question um you ever hear of an imposter syndrome yeah i some of our guests i think they know what it is and others they don't need to be a, an imposter because they're a real deal it's it's where you, you kind of pinch yourself and you you think people might look at you and say oh they're going to know what i really am did you ever have that feeling where you'd be found out and uh they wouldn't think you were as fabulous as uh, the image is 
Nope, not really. Look at that. Not thank me. You. I, you know, I'm very positive. And thank you, ladies, for having me here. You guys are wonderful. Thank you for, for joining us. Thank you. Thank I'm you, Maura Carlin. I'm Christy Derrico.